Good morning. It's good to be back with you guys. It's always good to be able to come and be asked to share uh, a message, and it's frankly better to be asked back. Um, so <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me back uh, today. If you're new or listening online, or, or uh, I'm not the pastor here. Jim Evans is the pastor, and he's out today um, doing some super spiritual work riding a motorcycle, and uh, now he was at a, at a conference uh, up in Chalice, but I, I really do mean that it's an honor to be here with you. I know that um, I'm not real old, but the older I get, the more precious uh, the church becomes to me, because I, I realize how precious the church is to Jesus. It's the most important thing to Jesus. It's his bride, and he loves his church. And to be able to worship with you guys really is a great honor. And to be able to lead us as we walk through God's word today is, is even a greater honor. So thank you for, um, for letting me be with you this morning. My family couldn't make it this morning, um, so I'm going to tell a story about them because they can't defend themselves. Um, we have a saying in our family, and, and you guys probably have these too. Uh, every family has stories or sayings or just little things, and they kind of make up your, the culture of your family, you know? So I want to share one of ours with you today. Uh, and I guess since we're uh, recording, probably with the world. So here we go. One of the phrases in our family that we use that you'll hear a lot is this phrase, figure it out. And I know that sounds a little bit cold and harsh, so I want to explain it just a little bit. What I don't mean is like, it's not like one of our kids is dangling by a bungee cord over a wood chipper and we're like, well, I don't know, figure it out. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's more like this. Like I have a 15-year-old daughter, Gabby, and it's more like I ask Gabby, Gabby, I want you to vacuum the car. And she says, dad, I can't vacuum the car because I can't find the vacuum. Because in my story, she sounds like a 40-year-old strung out surfer, but uh, I'm telling the story so I can make her voice whatever. But she says, Dad, I, I, I just can't find the vacuum. And I say, figure it out, right? And, and what I mean by that is, Gabby, you've been living in our house for 15 years now. You know we have a vacuum. You know that it lives in and around the garage. You know where the garage is. And so I want you to take all these seemingly complex and unrelated pieces of data and put them together and analyze them and find a strategy by which you can vacuum the car, right? Figure it out, you know? And, and so this is, this is this phrase that we use. And what's not going to happen in the Tweety house is I'm not going to hear her say, I don't know where the vacuum is. And I'm going to be like, oh, my goodness, I am so sorry. I had no idea you didn't know where the vacuum was. Stay right here. I'm going to run and get it for you. I'll be right back. Do you need anything while I'm gone? Like, you look kind of thirsty. But see, that's not going to happen in our house. And it's not going to happen in our house because I love her. And she's 15. And she needs to grow and learn and figure some of these things out. This passage we're going to look at today, there's a spiritual parallel here with God. Just like with my daughter, God has given us a lot of things, everything that we need, according to 1 Peter. And, and, and just like my daughter, where I'm, I'm there with her, if, if she really needs help, I, I can help her. God is with us. But like me and my daughter, the Lord looks at us and says, listen, you have to sort of figure some of this out. You have to work some of this out. But unlike the situation with my daughter, the stakes are way, way higher. Because if my daughter says, Dad, I'm not going to work this out. Dad, I'm not going to figure it out. 
there's going to be consequences. And there's going to be some discipline come down. And I promise you, she will vacuum the car. It's going to happen. But with the Lord, he pursues us and he wants us to figure these things out. But God will ultimately not make you do anything you don't want to do. And if you persist your whole life in refusing his invitation to figure some of this out and implement some of what he has given us into his life, you will find yourself ultimately separated from him. And we're going to see in this passage, there's things related to that. We're going to find ourselves totally missing the kingdom of God, both now and in eternity. But here is why I love this passage so much. And it's not just because it validates my parenting style. I love this passage because not only does, does it explain to us the command that God has given us, and not only does it describe why this is so important, but it actually gives us direction on the way that we're able to do it. And it's not beyond us. It's not like something that, well, you're never going to attain this, so good luck. Like, this is actually very much within our grasp what God asks us to do. And so what we're going to do is if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, the scripture, I think, might be on the screen. Also, this is, uh, they're scattered throughout uh, the chairs. Everything I'm going to read is, is on this piece of paper, and there's a place for you to take some notes if you want to do that. I'm going to uh, read this, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to observe a couple of things. So, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, says this. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, you said that when we look at your word, especially when we look at it together, that you would come and be our teacher, that you would come and explain it to us, that you would open our minds to understand these things. And Father, we ask you to do that today. And Lord, I ask that uh, we would be a people who have a posture that even even before we know what you're going to say to us today, that we would be a people who would be ready to say yes. And I pray, Lord, that we not only understand this, because uh, it's, it's one thing to understand, but Lord, I pray that it would become part of our life and that you would change us today as we seek to hear from your voice through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this idea of working on our salvation, it's probably helpful to, to take just a second and, and ask what it is this is talking about. What does it mean to work out our own salvation before we sort of get into uh, how we actually do this? So let me start with what it's not. Working out your own salvation does not mean find a way to be right with God on your own. Okay? 
So just the, the gospel in a nutshell, if you've never really heard this before, here's the gospel in, in the nutshell. Gospel is just a word that means good news. And the good news of Jesus is that he lived a perfect, sinless life and died a sinner's death, receiving all of the punishment for sin that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead, and he's with the Father, interceding on our behalf. Okay, And the reason that this is good news is because we have a mountain of sin piled against us. And we all know this. Without even, without even really connecting all the dots, if you've never read the Bible, you know intuitively that, number one, you cannot stop doing wrong. You just, you just can't. Like, you can put together a streak of a few days or something where you think you haven't done anything wrong, but, it's, but you're going to fail. And then intuitively, we know also that we cannot do good. There's things that we do that are just wrong that we can't stop doing, and then there's things that we know that we should be doing that we just don't do. And the result of all of this is that we stand before God totally unable to make ourselves right with him. Okay, so this is, this is real simple stuff, and I'm not going to dwell on it. But this, so when we read a, a verse like this that says, work out your own salvation, it cannot mean find a way to be right with God. It's, it's, it's obviously talking about something else. And when we look at what it is, there, there's kind of two theories among scholars about what is being talked about here. The background to this letter is this church in Philippi is, uh, is experiencing a lot of pressure and a lot of strife. So if you were to go home today and just read the book of Philippians, it's four chapters. It'll take you 15, 20 minutes. Even if you're a slow reader, it's not a very big book. But if you read through this, you're going to notice that there's pressure on the church from without, right? Paul is in prison. People are going uh, out there, and, and, and there's, there's uh, pressure against the church. There's also some regional pressure in, in the church, there's different preachers and teachers trying to get churches to align with them, and there's some of that going on. If you read all the way through the end of chapter 4, you'll find that there's actually some conflict in the church. Paul straight up calls out two ladies in this letter to stop fighting, right? I know, two ladies fighting in a church. It's like we've never heard of that. But um, So th- there's this pressure without, and there's this conflict within. And one way to maybe understand, work out your salvation is like this. There is a trap that the enemy has laid for you. Pressure outside, pressure inside, and you have to figure out a way not to fall into this trap. I've given you everything you need, and you've got to figure this out, right? That's, that's one way that's is a perfectly reasonable, underway, or a pers- perfectly reasonable way to understand this passage. The other way is kind of in a more general sense that just says, look, all of this is going on around you, and you have got to grow into this salvation that is right at, it's yours for the taking. And you've got to sort of put it into action. It doesn't really matter which one of those you prefer. You do the same thing Monday morning, right? It's kind of like a difference without a distinction. In either way, there's this idea that the gospel, the good news of Jesus has effects and we need to start seeing them. In fact, if you read this whole letter this passage, these uh, seven verses here, are the linchpin of the whole letter. Through the Holy Spirit, Paul has been giving instructions to the church. Okay, guys, you got to watch this and, and, and all of this stuff. And he gets to this verse 12, and now it's like he switches and he says, okay, do you understand all that I've been saying? Okay, now you have to go do this. You have to figure this out. You have to put this into practice, which leads us now to how we do this. How do we do this? How do we work out our own salvation? 
There's two things that we're going to observe here, and the first one is this. We have to recognize, first of all, that in order to work out our salvation, it is a combination of our work and God's work. Our work and God's work. Clearly, there is something that we must do here because we've been commanded to do something, right? Uh, and, and, and you don't, and certainly God would never do you don't ever command someone to do something that's impossible, right? I don't take my, my son who's seven, who's going to be seven in a few days, Nick, and I don't say, okay, hey, Nick, today, this week, here's what we're going to focus on. I want you to grow three inches, okay? By Friday, let's just, let's just try really hard, and we're just going to, this is what I want you to do, okay? That just wouldn't make any sense, right? And, and so when God, and, and quite frankly, if you just read the New Testament, it's just full of all of these things that God, through the Holy Spirit, through these writers, is admonishing and encouraging the church to do. So clearly, it's not even debatable that there is an element to this growing and working out our salvation that's our work. But then there's also a part of it that is God's work, right? And I love the way that this gets phrased in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like there's a sense in which God is going to work in you and he's actually going to even give you some of the desires you need to do some of your part, right? And so there is God's work and there is our work in this. And I think about this combination. Uh, I think about Greg. Greg uh, is a farmer, was a farmer, uh, where I went to high school uh, in eastern Washington. He's a good man, loves Jesus, was a good farmer. And Greg was super, super diligent with his fields. Man, he would, I remember he would take soil samples and measure moisture, and he'd watch the weather patterns, and, you know, he was a smart guy when it came to crops. And he carefully watched when to plant. And then once, once his fields were planted, he would, he would go, he would, like, uh, drive around and through them and watch them, you know. And, and we, he, we would see stuff going on. Okay, we need to go here. We need to do this. And he would do all this. He would spend the winters where a lot of farmers in the area would sort of lay off some of their staff in the winter. Greg would keep his staff on, on payroll so that they could go through all of the equipment. They did these massive maintenance projects in the winter, like rebuild engines and rebuild combines and so that when the harvest season came, there would be the smallest chance of breakdowns that he could have. Because if he doesn't do these things, if he doesn't plant at the right time, and if he doesn't watch his field, and if he doesn't have equipment that's ready to go, there's no harvest, right? But while he did this, he prayed. Because in eastern Washington, nobody irrigates. It's all dryland farming. And you can do all of these things, but if there's no rain, there's also no harvest. And so there is this hardworking farmer picture that we see in Scripture sometimes that I think is really helpful to us here, that there, is thing, there are things that we, we are called to do, and there are things that only God can do. And so here's what we do. We plan for our work. We plan for our work. You guys know that there are, there are things that we can do to actually plan for spiritual growth. I know that might seem a little bit formulaic, but just, just hang with me here a second. First, uh, First Timothy 4, 7 and 8 talks about training ourselves for godliness. Right? God has revealed himself to us in this book. 
He's revealed who he is. He's revealed who we are. He has revealed what our relationship is like. He's revealed to us so much of what he's doing, not only in the earth, but in the cosmos. And he has revealed this to us. And if we want to see God work in us, we need to spend time in God's word. This is something we can do to position ourselves for God to work in us. We can spend time in prayer, right? This is sometimes too common of a thought in evangelical churches. But if you guys know anyone who follows some other sort of religious system, the idea of a God who invites you to come and talk with him and will respond to you is quite astounding. That's not a human concept. That's not normal. I have friends in, in other circles of faith, and um, I'm praying for them, and we're having conversations, and as I speak with them, it's heartbreaking that God is distant, God is unconcerned, God is too busy, God is too important, God is unapproachable, all of these things. We have a way in which God has invited us into his presence in order to just bring needs, bring concerns, bring frustrations, just be with him. In fact, almost all of Jesus' teaching and language about prayer, the word he uses for God in almost all of those is Father. And that's the picture that we have in prayer. is like talking with a parent, a father, a mother. Here's, a, here's another thing that we can do, and I think this is one that we miss often in today, uh, kind of in today's church, is the church. Now, I know that we've just been through covid or getting through COVID, whatever. Uh, it just seems like the thing that will never end, right? Uh, and I don't mean that lightly, because I, I know I, I have uh, my aunt, and we just found out she's suffering uh, with COVID down in Texas last night, we found out. And so I don't mean that lightly, but it just it really does just seem dragging on. And so I, what I'm about to say, I don't want to sound critical of the way we've had to adapt some of our gatherings. But let me tell you this. If all you do is watch church online, you are missing, you are missing some of God's work. There are things, listen to this, there are things that God wants to do in you that he will only do through you and in you through the church. And, and, and that includes, I'm going to lump watching online with just coming only on Sundays. If you show up here and then the rest of the week you're disconnected from the body of Christ, there is, there, I'm telling you guys, there is stuff that he wants to do in you that will not happen because he's designed it to happen through the church. And one of the great, beautiful things, I was talking about how the church has been so precious to me. One of the great, beautiful things about the church that I am just realizing and just is so real to me is that you don't get to choose the church. It's not your family. And you don't get to choose who's in or out. And so when we're, one of the beautiful things about the church is when we're around the church and there's people in the church who are like, ah, you know, you know what? It's not, it's not your deal. You didn't get to choose it. And God is going to use that to do something in you that he wants to teach you something. He wants to change you in some way. It's only going to happen through the church. And, and this is just the last one, and, and then we'll move on. But um, obedience, can I just say something about this? All of this stuff that we've talked about, prayer and being around the church and reading and all these, you can do all these things, but if you're not committed to obeying Christ, you're never going to have this salvation worked out in you. God can show you things, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's really great. Totally not going to do it. 
You know, oh, that's really good. I don't think you're right on that, though, Jesus. I think I'd rather do this. I know what your word says, but nah, I'm, I'm just not going to. Those are things that we can do. You can, you can choose obedience. There's, there's a couple of things, and, and I would invite you to just make this a project the rest of your life. I'm still doing it in mine. I have, as I've read and, and um, studied scriptures, there's two things that God, um, I won't say never, Wayne, <laughs> but there's, there's two things yet that I have found only one place in the Bible where God has ever commanded us to pray for this. And that is obedience and humility. You, in one place in the Bible, I have found uh, a command for us to pray for, for humility. But most of the time, humbling ourselves is something we have to do. We are just, you just like humble yourselves before the Lord, not pray for humility. It's like, no, you just do it. And obedience is kind of similar. You don't, oh, you know, Lord, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not going to obey. Maybe you can change that in me. It's like, no, there's, there's an obedience, there's something to it that's our work that we're going to say, no, I'm going to choose as best as I can with the power of the Spirit to be obedient. And this is, so this is part of our planning for our work. But while we plan for our work, we pray for God's work. Because there are certain things that we cannot do. So I, I'm, I'm thinking of like Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Some of you guys know this. And it says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We've, we've, we've heard of this. And, and yet, when you think about these things, there is no way to make yourself more loving. You can pretend to be more loving, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like driving along the freeway, and it gets windy here, right? And you this crosswind, and you're sort of like holding the wheel, right? And everything is going good, and you kind of look like, oh, yeah, the car's just going straight. And then one of your kids in the back seat like throws a cheeseburger at the other kid, and you're like, hey. And as soon as you do that, what happens? You like break your concentration, and like, what happened? Like, well, the car always wanted to go that way. You just were sort of white-knuckling it in the lane, right? And this is kind of like our lives. When God says that he wants us to be loving, he doesn't mean like, all right, I'm just going to be loving. I'm just going to hold this because what will happen is there's going to be an unguarded moment and something's going to happen that you don't see coming and you're going to have one of these what moments in life and all this unloving is going to come out and it's like, ah, that was really what was there. You just were kind of like white-knuckling patience or faithfulness. Like you were faithful until, until that one thing. But God says he wants to do something in us so that it is just like the most natural thing for us to be loving and peaceful and joyful and all of these. These are only things that, that, that God can do. Um, another thing that only God can do is, is open our minds to Scripture, right? We have this discipleship group um, where I live, uh, and these people are in there. We had this one uh, gal in our group uh, a couple years ago. She started coming, and uh, it's just an amazing story. She, she comes up to me one day, and she's like, I've been reading the Bible, and it's, like, all new to me. Like, I understand it. She's like, I've read the Bible before, and it's kind of been confusing and, like, kind of whatever. But she's like, it's different now. And it's like, yeah, God actually says that he's going to open our minds to, that's something only God can do, right? We can read scripture, but only God opens it to us, right? So we see this idea that, that there is this work that God does and this work that we do, and we need to plan for our work. But we need to pray for God to work in us at the same time. 
All right? Are you with me? Okay, here's the second thing that we see from this passage. And, and frankly, without this second thing, the first won't happen. The second thing is that we must do this with a posture of fear and trembling. And if you don't like those words, I'm sorry, they're not mine. They're just there. And we can't really avoid them. We're, we're supposed to approach this process with fear and trembling. We're supposed to take this seriously. I would submit, church, that we have swung the pendulum so far from cowering before God that we actually don't properly fear before God. Jesus says, there's this song um, that's kind of popular right now. I don't know when it came out. It's new to me. It might not even be new. I'm not that hip. But it says, remember, oh, my soul, who you're talking to. When you go to the Lord in prayer, when you, when you think about God, remember who you're talking to. Jesus, the, the, I, I don't know that I've heard very many sermons on this, but Jesus says in Luke, he says, listen, um, if you want to be afraid of somebody, <clears throat> let me tell you who to be afraid of. Don't be afraid of the person that can only kill you and then do nothing else to you. He said, be afraid of the person who can kill you and then send your soul to hell. Now, those are Jesus' words. Those are not my words. But you think about that. He's, Jesus is like, there's a, there's a proper respect and fear for who God is. And, and Paul is saying, listen, as you, as, you, as you think about this process of working out your salvation, you have to do this seriously. You have to think about this with the weight that it deserves. And he says, I want you to do this. And he actually gives three reasons here. I'm just going to run through these. They're not in your notes. But one of them is, um, if you fail to do this, you're going to fail to be a witness for me. Right? He says, I want you to shine like lights in the world. That is your destiny. I don't know. This is not a very churchy thought. So maybe you've never thought this because it's just kind of but weird. But have you ever wondered if the whole idea is for us to come to know who Jesus is, why don't, when we become saved, we get translated right to heaven? I know, it's a weird thought. Nobody ever thinks that thought. But think about it. If, if the whole goal is just a yes to Jesus, why... When you, there's a yes to Jesus, why don't you just go? And the reason is, that's not the whole point. The point is that God is doing something on this earth, and he has invited us to be part of it. And truthfully, if we don't work out our salvation, we're not going to be able to do, be part of his work like that. We're not going to be this, this lights on a hill, these shining lights in a dark world that he's intended for us to be. But then Paul goes on to say, he says, uh, I want to be proud of you on the day of Christ. So, like, another way to say that is, like, on the day of Christ, I don't want to be embarrassed of you. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that when Jesus comes, there's a judgment for everyone, the righteous and the unrighteous. And where the unrighteous, the judgment is one of condemnation. For the righteous, the judgment for us who know Jesus is a judgment of reward. And, and I, I, church, have you thought about that day? Have you thought on that day, I mean, what do you want Jesus to bring to you? Like, oh, you know, you're here, and that's great. Or, or, or do you want one of those, like, well done, good and faithful servant? I can't believe it was so amazing what you were. I'm so proud of the work that you did. Like, Jesus is going to love everybody who's in heaven, right? I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying, but there is a, there's an incentive of reward that is actually a pretty strong theme in the New Testament. And this is one of the reasons that we have here is like, yes. Work out your salvation so that I can be proud of you on the day of Christ. And then he goes on to say, um, 
so that I didn't labor in vain. Meaning like, I'm doing all of this stuff, Paul's like, I'm pouring into you all this so you can know Christ. And I want, at the end of the day, I don't want you to miss it. That if you go your whole life and you never work out the salvation of God in you, there's a chance, there's a possibility that what that has mean is that God has actually never done anything in you in the first place. Because this idea of God working out our salvation in us is an indicator in as much as it is a command. You hear that? That if, if, if there's no desire in us to work out our salvation, if there's no ever thought to this, you have to really begin to wonder, what has God done in me? And that ought to be something that stirs us to go to God. In Romans 8, um, the word says that God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his sons and daughters. And when that when there's, you know, you know when you're knower. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but, you know, like, when, when, when there's something in you that God is like, you know when God's spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. And if that is missing, you ought not to try to find some Christian friend to convince you that you're saved. You ought to seek the Lord and say, Lord, I see this in Scripture. What have you not done in me? What have I not done? Where are we? This ought to drive us to the Lord. This is super serious. I, I think sometimes I, there are so many great things with the movie productions that we have. And, and what I mean by that is we're able to take stories that you, we just imagined and now actually see them, right? You know, some of these movies, uh, even, as, even as old as like Lord of the Rings, like were things that we just, you just couldn't have done that movie, you know, 30 years ago. But here's one of the downsides to all of this cinematography. Sometimes when we read passages and when we look at the Bible, we assume that we're watching a movie. And what I mean by that is we, we read passages like we'll stand before God and give an account. And we think of that as sort of like abstract, like, oh, yeah, sure, that'll happen in some movie somewhere. You will see that with your eyes. Everybody in this room, everybody listening to this is going to see Jesus tell people, I didn't know you. I, I, I don't know you. Depart from me. We are going to see that with our eyes. And folks, it'll come quicker than you think. I just had uh, our oldest graduate high school. It goes so quick. And everyone dies before they think they're going to. Almost everyone dies before they think they're going to. And, and this passage is looking ahead to that day, and it's reminding us that, hey, this is going to happen. There's going to be a day where we stand before the Lord. And so as we think about a passage like this and working out our salvation, one of the questions that has to come up is, are we really taking this seriously? Are we really looking at our spiritual life? Are we looking at Christ in us? And is it the thing that drives our life? Because like I said, if we don't, if we don't have this posture right, we'll, we'll never get to the planning and the praying. We have all kinds of plans. We have career plans and five-year plans, and some of you guys are in the middle of vacation plans, and we've got all these kinds of plans. But like, do we have a an actual plan to foster the Spirit of God in our lives. 
for some of us, when we think about this continuum of, of our work and God's work, there's two places that we can fall on this. And one of them is that we can fall into the ditch of just not actually putting any effort into following Christ. I, I work with missions in my work with the churches, and um, occasionally I'll be somewhere and I'll be talking to someone. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I really want to go on a mission trip. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, where, where, are you, where are you thinking about going? Well, I don't really know. I'm like, oh, okay, where are you like, saving money for your trip? No, no, not really. I'm like, have you gotten your passport? No, no, I haven't gotten my passport. And I'm like, you're not even trying. <laughs> you're not even like trying to be obedient here. Like, right, like God has told you to do this, and you're like, yeah, I need to do this. And then you're doing nothing to even pretend like you're planning to make it a reality. And some of us fall into that trap. We're, we're like asking God to change us, and we want to be free of certain things, and God says, here's some things that you can do to begin to walk with me. And we don't even plan. We don't even plan to be around the church or be in the Word. We don't have any scheduled time for prayer or anything like that. And I think God would be speaking to us today to say, listen, this is an intentional life. But then there's some of us, and I think this is really good news, there's some of us that are, are really heavy on this planning. We've got a Bible reading system, and we, we're part of a small group, and we stay for Sunday school, and we do all these things. And, and I think God would be be before us today to say, that is wonderful. Those are good things. When was the last time you just came to me and you brought me, whatever it is, and you just said, I can't do this. I just need you to do this. I'm, Lord, these are the things I'm trying to be faithful with, and I'm doing these things, and they're not burdensome. I love them, but Lord, I see this in me, and I can't change me. I just need you to do this. And for some of you, I hope that you hear this invitation as like a relief, like, oh, how would it be to have a God that just says, yes, I can do the thing that you can't do. That thing that you're struggling with, I just want you to bring it to me because there are some things that only God can do in us. We're going to sing a closing song here in just a minute. And... I've been praying. I know others have been praying. Some of you have been praying. Some of you have come here really, really hoping to hear from God, really needing to hear from God. Some of you need to hear from God, and you don't even know it. And maybe God has been speaking to you this morning. Listen, do not ignore that voice. And, and here's why. Because we should expect it. We should expect when we gather as a church and when we look at God's word and when we worship Jesus together and when we pray together that God would begin to minister to us. And this is, <laughs> this is what makes us different than any other club that meets Sunday mornings in Twin Falls. Any other group, civil group, whether it's a, I don't even know, Rotary Club, I don't know if that still exists, but you know, like, there's all kinds of gatherings all over. But the thing that's different about when the church meets is that God is with us and speaks to us. And I know that God has been speaking to some of us. So as we sing this last song, use this as a, as a time to respond to God. I don't know what he's calling you to do. 
But I know he's asking us to make a step in some direction because his purpose for us today is for us to be here to worship him and to hear from him. This is part of why he's gathered us. As Nicole was saying in that opening prayer that we have been called to the singular time, to the singular place for reason. And we believe that. So I'm, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And once we start singing, if you want to sit and pray, if you want to kneel and pray, if you want to do whatever it is that you want to do, but don't miss this time where God is speaking to us about how we work out our salvation, how we put into effect these things that we know to be true and that he's done for us and in us and through us.